And I just thought of something that Aaron's going to be like, you should write that up. I'll tell you. It's a scenario that I just thought of. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> So now, on to Act 3, No Hope, setting. Act 3 begins shortly after the latest death. Those who witnessed the Dullahan couldn't sleep, and those who were asleep have been awoken by those who are running around panicking. No one wants to become the next victim. We open... Many of the townsfolk stayed awake, peering out their windows to see if another attack occurred. Many of them witnessed the Dullahan as it arrives, claims another victim, and leaves just as quickly. Those that witness this run out of their homes screaming. Topsfield is quickly becoming a scene of mass murder. The people are panicking and quickly losing their sanity. Some are threatening to kill anyone who gets in their way, possibly commit suicide, sacrifice others to save themselves, or any number of creative ways to survive. They are basically killing themselves. Scene 1 The Celtic woman warns that the Dullahan's attacks will continue for at least one more week, possibly two. It will continue to take the lives of people in Topsfield unless something can be done. Whatever calm befell the townsfolk, even for a brief instant, is gone in a fleeting moment as they run around screaming in terror. So the murder has happened, the latest murder. The townsfolk have become unhinged. They're running around town, protecting themselves, carrying whatever weapons they can find, screaming that the end is nigh. Get out while you can! It seems like Samuel might even just be starting to give up. He doesn't know what to do. The townsfolk are losing their sanity. I am a librarian. Which means that I have access to many books through the access to the libraries that I have. I would like to research the lore of the Dullahan because it's outside of my realm of expertise. You're making a face at me, so... Alright, uh, go ahead and... As, as you are trying to do that, um, there is, you are getting books together, you put them on a table, um, you can hear the screams and the sounds outside as it is distracting you from your work. A brief moment of respite as you start to open one of the books, then all of a sudden, smash, one of your windows gets shattered open from a rock and as someone screams that all sanity is lost we are all gonna die and they just start the the sounds outside you it, it feels like you really can't even get anything done the townsfolk are losing control are you i mean is there anything you can do to calm them down No. Um, let me look again. I'm sorry. I did not. If the con- if the townsfolk aren't calmed down, they're going to destroy the town. There's going to be nothing for anyone to save as it is. Well, um, the only thing that I got is... I will go to Samuel. That's your name, right? Okay. Yep. 
I will go to Samuel and speak with him. I think that it's time that we I think it's time that we lock down the town. You want me to try to um, round up all of the usual suspects, kind of lock them down until hopefully this can start to die down? I don't know what else to do. I don't, I don't have the right words to reassure them because I don't know what those words might be. This is well outside of my wheelhouse and um, dealing with people is well outside of my wheelhouse as well, at least on this level. All right, well, uh, with my law enforcement expertise and, and knowing you know, who the usual suspects are around this town, who the rabble-rousers are. Uh, I guess I'll just grab my musket and go around, try to round up some of them, and uh, hopefully it'll uh, allow the town to calm down a little bit, at least for a little while, while we can get this sorted out. So I am going to try to control the townsfolk. A next objective, the first objective, for uh, the Act 3, I have a trait and two re-rolls. So I got a 4, 5, or 6. Am I even going to need it? I rolled a 6. So as Samuel um, leaves Dahlia to do her thing, um, he knocks on doors, uh, rounds up some of his local watch, and they go about spending the next couple hours kind of rounding up the more radical element, the more crazed, the more scared, uh, and try to kind of lock them down, um, tell them to, to not really knock it off, but uh, just to try to get to we're working on the situation. Just give us some time, please. You know, he rouses, uh, rounds up some of the more uh, dangerous weapons in town and says, hey, I'm just going to keep these for a little bit and uh, hopefully it'll give some time to solve the situation. As we lean into Act 2, even with that pandemonium, or sorry, Scene 2, even with that, pandemonium has struck. Many townsfolk are, are grabbing farming implements and burning torches, uh, chanting their desire to hunt down the beast, much to the constable's chagrin. Others are simply losing their insanity. Even the ones that uh, Samuel has rounded up, others are, are taking on the mantle and everything is just getting out of hand. The sense has uh, caused the horses uh, in town to to just start to spark up, and and the other livestock they start to buck wildly. Some of them get out of their pens, and these animals, with the fear that is encompassing them, are just running ramshot all over the town. Dahlia is trying to get out of the way, but there are horses that are barreling down on her. What is she going to do? I am going to try to jump out of the way. However, that pretty much means that I just roll a 5 or a 6. With no re-rolls. Alright, is Dahlia going to be able to do it? Does she have, She has nothing that can help her? Because uh, uh, the constable now is, is, is away. He's, he's not with her. So she's on her own. I got nothing. Um, All right. Dolly is going to try to evade these, these crazed horses that are just running down the main street of Topsfield. Because I often suffer from ooh shiny syndrome, 
could something have maybe caught my eye? Uh, perhaps somebody, perhaps one of my neighbors screaming. Um, what do you think? To me, that's kind of a stretch. It 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 is. It All is right. a stretch. All right. And since since we agree, it's kind of a stretch. Uh, me as the lead storyteller for this act, I'm not gonna give it to you, Dahlia. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, so grab that D6, and let's see if you get a five or six to avoid these horses. This is going to be a physical contest. And she rolls a three. There's no re-rolls for Dahlia. So we go all the way down to the mishap chart in the appendix and see what happens to Dahlia. as She is being ran over by these horses all right so the physical failure uh go ahead and roll me a d6 one of the just a different one okay one a one. Oh, you're lucky that was a near miss the objective was almost achieved but not quite so these horses basically just kind of slam you to the side. And just as that happens, you see Samuel come running up and tries to grab you out of the way so that you are uh, not going to get hurt. So he is going to try to grab you to try to actually win this uh, objective. Now granted, We'll use up another one of our dice, but we'll still win the objective if I'm able to do this. So he's going to run up. He's going to grab you. Um, he is uh, kind of, let's say, leading the way. He, he's he's uh, an, a man of action, so he's going to try to grab you. So I need to roll a five or a six, and I, need, and I only get one re-roll for this. So I'm going to take a die. I'm going to roll to see if I get a 5 or a 6. All right, I got a 4. I'm going to need to re-roll it. Is Dahlia going to get hurt on this, or is uh, Samuel going to help her out? And I rolled another 4. So we have lost that objective, lost that die. All right, so Dahlia gets slammed by one of these uh, horses. Thankfully, she was just getting out of the way Samuel tries to grab her before she falls but she falls into the muck and the dirt and it didn't hurt you that much but it did it did kind of increase your fear a little bit I mean things are getting out of control here so as that is happening sorry I have to go back to where we were at in the PDF um, Samuel uh, basically kind of tells you, at least for now, we need to get off the streets. Um, let's go back to your place. And then as the daylight begins to fade, prominent townsfolk who could help control the town are beginning to leave. They're not sticking around for this. They fear that their lives and have the money to quickly move elsewhere. This comes to Samuel and Dahlia. And Samuel says if, if they leave, this town's lost. These are the only people that are keeping this town together in this, this crazy, crazy... I will go and speak to one of them. Okay. Are you going to go uh, speak to Edwards? He seems to be probably the most influential man that uh, uh, is not uh, part of the kind of establishment. Everybody kind of looks up to uh, looks up to him. All right. All um, right. I will yet again um, put on the hat of the negotiator. Okay. Um, to persuade Edwards to not abandon the town that he's put so much work into forming and to leading. 
All right. Um, I will. Mis- uh, sorry, I am known to many politicians. I'm very friendly with some of them, and if he abandons the town, if you abandon the town, Clemens will actually hear of it because the town is going to burn. All right. Well, Edward's uh, Edward doesn't know if he's going to. I mean, because he has a family. You know, he doesn't want any of his family to die. So he he has let you into his home. He's he said, go ahead and sit down. As you can see, his family's still packing to get out of town. And he says he'll hear you out. So go ahead and roll your die. What do we got? Um, I need to roll a four, five, or six. And since I'm known to many politicians. Okay, you get a reroll. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see if you can convince Edwards to stay. Gotta That's a three it. on the first roll. No, I can't. No, Edwards is Edwards is decide. No, I, I'm I'm not staying. Everyone that stays is gonna die. You have to understand that. Well, not I'm everyone. Le- I can't take that. I have to get out of here. And so all of your work, your 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 home, forfeit. Can you think of another way that you can convince me? I as you're standing as you're sitting at this table with Edwards trying to give you an olive branch to maybe re-roll this objective, but Edwards is scared. He's already seen his his neighbor die for pretty much no reason. And that's am, not gonna happen to his wife and kids. I am very astute and have a large network of buyers and sellers so i know what people need to hear in uncomfortable situations in order to be able to stay in order to persuade them to lower their price or do not exactly what they want okay or sell that valuable antique all right uh as a lead storyteller i'm going to give this to you however You've already tried to negotiate with them. This is basically you just saying, hey, you're going to lose a bunch of stuff if you leave. So you're going to have to roll either a five or a six, and but I'll give you the re-roll. All right. All right. So Edwards is crossing his arms and, and uh, sitting back and seeing. Is uh, it a re-roll or is it another roll? It would be, are you using a descriptor? Yes. Okay, so it's your first roll, and then... So this is a whole new try. Okay, so I need to... So you're using... So we only have two uh, objective dice left, and Ellen's using one, so... This is going to be... The the town's going crazy, Dahlia. I wish I would have made a different character. (laughs) (laughs) He told me not to read it. Anyway. I think it's more exciting this way. <laughs> All right, so she needs a five or a six. And Damn. she rolled a four. All right, she gets that one re-roll. Let's see if uh, Edwards is Edwards is halfway out the door, Dahlia. Oh. And she rolled a one. Edwards slams his fist on the table and says, Dahlia, you don't have a family here. We're leaving. And we're going to take as many people as will come with us. And he politely, as he is a gentleman, he politely tells you you need to leave. It's over. All right. And as you start to head out, you are finding that it is, it's pretty much... At the end of the town, you see a latch ditch effort of Samuel kind of grabbing some of the younger men and going around town trying to rustle up as many people as he can to kind of form a, a militia to, to just keep people there just a little bit longer. And so... As the law in this town, he's getting his local watch together 
And gosh darn it, he's going to use that musket if need be to save this town. All right. So how many rerolls is that? I get uh, a four, five, or six, and I get two rerolls. So the first one didn't even need it. All right. So Samuel, a lot of the prominent elders, a lot of the prominent families, Edwards leading the way, have started to leave town. Samuel couldn't do much about that. However, the ones that have stayed, it's it's almost kind of a martial law at this point. People are being told to stay in their houses. There are watches set up. All the people that can be armed are armed to watch out, to try to make sure that there's a, a watch in case this creature comes back again. However, there was an objective that we failed. We tried it twice. Was it to keep the elders here? It was to keep the elders here and the you getting hurt. Oh, so we failed too. We failed too. So as everything is falling down around Samuel and Dahlia, we go to the conclusion We could have gone the good conclusion, but instead we have conclusion number two of this act. Bodies are piling up. Using the method described in Your Time Has Run Out, one of the player's personalities becomes the next victim. So what we need to do is go ahead, Dahlia, and take a D6. There's only two personalities in our game, so you want to be evens or odds? I'll be odds. All right, so go ahead and roll the die. And it's odd. Dahlia is running home to try to grab those books. It is night now as she has spent most of her day trying to convince townsfolk. You hear a murmuring as people are, as watch groups are moving around town. But but other than that, everyone's basically either left or hunkered down. And then you hear it. The thundering behind you. You can feel the heat as the trail of fire comes towards you. You see this huge black horse that appears to come from the depths of hell itself and a rider of death. He looks towards you and you start to run. As you turn, a whip snaps out, wraps around you, you fall to the ground, and you hear one word, Dahlia, and blood from the creature's face falls upon you. Your last breath is Samuel running towards you and being trampled under the hooves of the Dullahan's horse as his head is smashed to the ground. We did not succeed in this challenge. We did not succeed in this scenario. (laughs) I should say not. (laughs) The plan has failed. We could not... We could not make the Dullahan leave. The remaining townsfolk complete a downward spiral into insanity, burning most of the town to the ground. Many of the townsfolk flee, but some become the Dullahan's next victim, even while residing in a different town. The Dullahan follows them. 
the attacks stop after two weeks, but that leaves 14 more dead from the Dullahan, and even more from the panic that set in. And that was Celtic legend. Well, that took a turn really fast. It did. It did. I actually kind of... Okay, so let's let's talk about what we just tried out. All right. Okay, because... <laughs> well, can I ask one question about the scenario? Sure. What yeah. the heck is the Doolahan? The Doolahan... Okay, so at the end of the scenario, they... And, and there's other scenarios in the PDF, in the book... They talk about the adversary. So for this one, it is the Doolahan. The Doolahan is a headless creature of Irish myth. So it's the headless horseman. Oh, okay. Um, that carries its head tucked under one arm. The horseman rides atop a black horse with sparks and flames shooting from its nostrils. The head of the Dullahan is a hideous monstrosity with a grin that reaches the both sides and massive eyes that dart about like flies. So it's like Christopher Walken in Sleeping Hollow, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. All so, right. so okay. yeah, so that is uh, the Dullahan. That is the adversary of this scenario. Um, I All must right, we can say, move on. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I must say I was having a very hard time to begin with because I have, as you know, a huge background in regular, I don't want to say vanilla, but kind of the vanilla RPG. I run the game and I create everything and then I tell the players what's going on and the players just say what their characters are doing. This is, to me, a lot different. It's, and, and people always say that role-playing is kind of like telling stories around the campfire. But this, to me, is even more so than that. Because, yes, there's a lead storyteller. But, for example, Ellen had a lot of control of what was happening in the story by just being able to kind of say what she was doing. And then this is our first time. So it was kind of hard for both of us to kind of get that concept, I think. Um, But seasoned people that have played this on a few occasions, I can really see the lead storyteller setting up the scene and then, for example, Ellen running with it and adding so many new elements to the story that expands upon not only her character, but everybody's character. And and it's really a collaborative story creation as opposed to a role-playing game. Yes, you're playing a personality, but even with that, I think it is a a way for everybody at the table to create the story together. So what do you, what do you think? Well, I agree with that to a certain extent. You do encourage us, like storytellers like you and not just you, but you do encourage us to tell a story with what we're doing. Um, when we play like a Dungeons and Dragons. However, I do understand the structural differences because I was, really struggling a lot especially in the first two acts to figure out what was expected of me even though I read the book I kind of knew what was expected of me but mm. I still had a hard time contributing as I mean, even tonight I you know even in act three I had a hard time I don't even know what to say I had a hard time weaving the story and I know we were kind of rushing through it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like this scenario should have probably taken us probably three to four hours to play through if we were doing it. Right. Like just you and me. Right. Uh, since we were recording it, we wanted to hit all the high points of the game system to kind of demonstrate what was going on. I'm not even sure I did a good job of demonstrating what was going on because I was outside of my comfort zone. Mm. 
I will say that it was uh, different for me. Um, it is a lot more structured. I'm not. I'm not used to doing kind of modules. Um, I usually, like I told Ellen before we started uh, recording, I'm more of kind of a here's my outline, seat of your pants kind of storyteller. Um, I rely a lot on player input and what players want to do. This being so structured um, was hard for me to kind of not so much wrap my head around, but I kind of felt like I was locked in. Like I had to, almost like when you're playing a board game, okay, these are the things I have to hit to go on to the next thing. And I think the more we played, uh, now granted we only played two sessions basically, uh, but the more even in that we played, I kind of felt the the freedom, especially when we started to do Act 3 tonight, more of the freedom to kind of play with those objectives and when those objectives actually had to hit. Because actually, the last two objectives we did out of turn. Fair enough. So... It's odd when you are doing an objective, for example, like the horse objective, because there is an objective where basically not to be trampled by horses. I allowed as the lead storyteller for kind of Samuel to run in and try to save Dahlia, but if that wasn't the case, which he didn't, I mean, I mean, we, mm -hmm. we failed that objective, but... Even with that, once you fail an objective, you kind of fail the act. Like, as long as you fail one objective, you're, you're pretty much... I mean, you're not done with the act, because I think a lot of it is weaving that story. So if, for example, Ellen's character, Ellen's personality gets trampled, and you're like, okay, well, we did not get that objective, so let's go on to the next. kind of breaks kind of the the flow of the story. And so I understand why you would keep doing that. Um, I did start to like the feel of you not being, because I could definitely see, even with our ability to roll and re-roll, that we weren't heroes. No, no. Especially with the Doolahan. You can't do anything against that creature. It is basically, there's a way. Now, in Act 4, there's a way that you can defeat the Doolahan. You can't hurt it, but if you, there's, there's objectives where you um, try to gather gold. And that will make the Doolahan go away. So there's objectives where everybody goes through the town, tries to get a bunch of gold, so that you can basically ward off the Doolahan, thereby saving the town. So in another RPG, you would just get your sword, your guns, or whatever, and be like, we're going to go kick this Doolahan's butt. There's a huge fight scene for four hours, and you beat the Doolahan. Here, it's, you can't. You're, you can just drive it away. Yeah, you can just try, you can try to drive it away, but other than that, you're kind of screwed. You're just a person. And especially with there's no now granted if we had more people playing this scenario, um and we were doing it like kind of the rules express where we had a rotating lead storytellers. So say for example, um Ellen's character at the end of Act Four uh, dies. Well, then she could take up the mantle of the lead storyteller. So she's still in the game. She's still playing, still weaving the story with everyone at the table. She's just not using her personality. Which is interesting to me because it allows you to stay in the game and really expresses that this is a group of people having fun creating a horror story together. As opposed to just 
just I'm running the game. You're my players. I agree. Um, I think with the right group of people, this would be a blast to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have to have the right group of people. And I'm not saying you and I together aren't the right group of people, mm. but I think maybe we should have gone through one of the other scenarios before we recorded. Um, I mean, it's nice to, uh, have our initial reactions to everything. Right, right. But, um, to be fair, I need to point out that we resolved act one wrong. Ah, true, true. Um... <clears throat> We resolved Act 1 as a failure when we still had two dice left to roll on objectives. Right. We could have tried something else to maybe complete that objective. Um, But, so there's that. There's also maybe you and I should have discussed a little bit more um, kind of how things are supposed to flow. And we did discuss it, and I thought I had it, but once I was here... It's a lot different to be sitting in the hot seat. And I think with at least two more people on the on the game, mm-hmm. I would have more to play off of as opposed to me telling you this is my part of the story. Right. And then either you're like, yeah, or no, or sit there looking at me, <laughs> right, <laughs> which happened right. a couple of times, which is fine. I mean, those are all fair... Those are all fair reactions to what I said and what I did during the game. Uh, but having at least two more people at the game, at the gaming table, first of all, would have rounded out what you and I were missing. Uh, just various different knowledges and abilities to be able to get to the point. Like, I had no idea what was going on in Act 1 or 2. Right. And I know that's kind of what was supposed to be happening. Right. But... It didn't feel like I was doing it right. And I don't okay. think that's a fault in the game. I think that's literally just a fault in that there were just two of us doing it rather than having four different personalities to contribute. True. And I think, too, that as we would get more familiar with how the game runs, because I've said it before and I'll say it again, it is kind of a different beast, no pun intended, uh, it is kind of a different beast from a regular RPG. And I think if we had done what you said, or at least maybe had a few scenarios under our belt, I think it would have flowed a lot better. And I think, like you said, with more people at the table, more people contributing to the overall story, it would have worked a lot better. Yes, I I think that there's enough material, at least in this module. I didn't look through any of the modules mm. uh, because, well, you told me not to read one of the modules and I forgot which one it was. This so, one, <laughs> well, Celtic right. Legend, this one. Oh, right, I know, but I forgot what the name of it. So oh, I yeah. ended up not reading any of the modules. Well, and also that too, though, is kind of based on my idea of <clears throat> knowing what I know about RPGs in general. You know, I think actually it might be more advantageous if we played this again for everyone to read kind of the opening, like the background, like the stuff. background together, and then because creating a persona literally takes like five minutes. Yeah, it did not take me very um, long at all. So I think. In doing that, everybody can know kind of the background of the story and then create their personalities. Somebody grabs lead storyteller and you're off and running. And you can literally do this in, I think, a half hour. So you could pick up this game with one person knowing how to play, which I think is a great idea for this game. And once again, I I know I'm harping on it, but kind of that everybody around the campfire, you know, Mm -hmm. you pick up this game, you say somebody doesn't show up to your Dungeons and Dragons game, or you guys just want to kind of sit around and talk, but you kind of want to maybe do a little game or something too. You grab this game, people, you read the... Because I think there's five, I'm not exactly sure, but I think there's five scenarios in the book. So even with not having to create your own scenario, 
you grab one, you read the background, everybody creates a persona, and this is a good personality, and this is a good one night, everybody has fun creating a horror story. Yes, it's actually what it kept reminding me of, especially during Act 3, once I started getting into the rhythm of things, which is really unfortunate, because once I started getting into the rhythm of things, it was over. We <laughs> but, all died. <laughs> but isn't that just life? Yes, <laughs> anyway. yes, exactly. Once you think you've won life, you die. So, yes. <laughs> The true horror story. But anyway, go ahead. But it was reminding me of a number of different creative writing exercises that I completed in in high school and in college where the leader, whether it be a teacher or professor or group leader, would start with an idea and then each person would write a paragraph and you would build a story based off of one story seed. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how this works, only it's not as structured as all that. I mean, you know, if we were playing with four people, it wouldn't matter, like, what order everybody went in to, to add to the story. Right. But it's the same concept. You start with a story seed, which is the background of the scenario. Mm-hmm. And then you're off and running. Right. And I do enjoy that, because then... There's a little bit of randomness with the with the dice rolls. The lead storyteller can guide you to the objectives, which you had to kind of wrangle me in a lot, I guess. I played a lot of role play games, so research and uh, investigation and stuff is always a big deal. And this this specific scenario, yes, it needed investigation, but not the kind of investigation I built my character for. Right, right. So it was... And and it does say in the rules of the game that you can do the objectives a couple ways. Um, you can have the lead storyteller kind of wrangle the other personalities to trying to get to steer them to the objectives, or you can just read the objectives to the other players and they can work to create the story to complete those objectives. Which, it says the default is them not knowing. But if you just want to be like, hey guys, here's the objective. And that even more adds to, hey, we're just all making this story together. I, either way, works pretty well, in my opinion, um, for the objective of the game and having a good time. I believe that Beyond the Firelight seems to be more of building a feel, building a story, rather than building a world. I I don't know. It seems to be more of a collaborative, we're writing a story, as opposed to the freeform feel of like a Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I know the storyteller has a story he's telling during something like a Dungeons Mm. and Dragons. But as we all know, players can derail that pretty fast. Right, right. With this, this is a little bit different in that we're all, quote unquote, on the same side. I know a lot of players who see us not on the same side as the DM. Mm. Uh, We're not working together to tell a story. We're basically players in the storyteller's story. Which I don't like that idea anyway. I think everyone is there. Even even if I run a campaign for five years, I think it's everyone's story as opposed to mine. But I'm just saying that, yeah, I mean, but there is a lot of people that, that kind of see it that way. This kind of throws that idea out. Even if you got to know the, I'm going to say you, Steve, mm-hmm. got to know the system well enough to kind of set up your own scenario mm-hmm. and uh, write a module sort of thing and you had your own objective set and everything if we ran it according to the rules even though you set the skeleton of the story up it can definitely change the feel not the not the overall plot but it can definitely change the feel of the story by different people playing it right well not only that too i could create the whole story i could create all four acts for example (laughs) but i'm not storytelling the whole time Mm-hmm. You know, I might story tell the first act to get people going, but then Ellen's running the the next act, the act that I wrote up, yes, but she's interpreting it that and running that the way she wants to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really cool, cool way to do it. And, and, and 
getting that whole feel of collaborative storytelling. Um, Yes, this is an RPG, but collaborative story game, I think, is a lot. And actually, I think that Aaron calls it, Aaron the writer, calls it something different uh, at the beginning on the... A storytelling game of folklore and horror. Yes, so it is a storytelling game, not an RPG. So... However, I do regret a little bit that we didn't have more time to spend. Um, to spend spinning the tale. Okay. Uh, well, you know this. I enjoy the meat of like a character or whatever, which is why my character was so directed at one thing. Mm-hmm. Is well, I guess it wasn't one thing, but it was either antiquities or it was books right right um so it was two things i was a two-trick pony Mm. but uh but this character would have done well in a scenario that lasted a little longer where there were actual conversations and stuff we rushed through some of those things and did a whole lot of i tell him Mm. instead of actually saying what right because we were trying to illustrate at least how the game mechanics work with this. Right. As opposed to the potential of this. The potential of this is really good. And it's actually a really great one night game. But yeah, if you see, have that's a- what that's what definitely what I think. I mean, even with four acts, if you have a group of players that are really in tune with creating that story and running with it, this is a great four or five hour one night game great and if you have a collaborative gaming group that you work well with working within the structure of how these modules are set up you can set your own modules up it's just not real great to work as a campaign game you can still play the same characters over and over again but you're not going to be building an adventuring team out of this because there's right. just things are too deadly, obviously. Mm. But it's not like your Deadlands where you can actually build an adventuring party with supernatural powers or resistances. This is just people. You can yeah, still yeah, all of the personalities in the game are just people. You can still do a series. Mm-hmm. Of one-nighters, but they're all still going to be one-nighters, right? Well, that have either one character in common, all four, you know. Let's say it's a four series, four-part series, one character in common for all four parts because everybody else died along the way, mm-hmm. or four characters that carry through the whole thing. But you definitely need to have a group or a pair, whatever, of people who are astute at creating the tension of uh, the mystery behind the supernatural thing. Right. And who have actually a knowledge of supernatural things. Like, I didn't know that the Headless Horseman actually was a mythological creature. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I had no idea. Well, that's actually why I picked it, because I thought you knew what the Doolahan was. No. (laughs) I mean, I know a lot of Irish Irish folklore, but Mm. that just was one that I didn't. No, I didn't right. know. So, so let's shift gears. Um, what did you think about the actual system of the game, the dice mechanic? I like the dice mechanic. Um, now that I know it a little bit more, I, I from the player's perspective, I know that sounds really weird um, and almost like cheaty, but now I know how to create a better character. Mm-hmm. What I created was not good for what this game is. Cause this, what this scenario was. No, the game in general. I oh, created really? a I in my in my opinion, mm-hmm. I created a character that literally had two things that she could do. Whereas Oh, so you're saying maybe pick some of your descriptors or something to be more well rounded. Just slightly. Maybe do some more stuff. Okay. Just slightly. I mean nothing out of the ordinary or nothing like I'm a jack of all trades, but it would have been nice to have like I am a fast runner or you know Right, right. <sighs> Or even, like, I know mm. tracking. Mm. Just something that's... I mean, everybody, as, as a normal person, has a skill that's just kind of a little off from mm. what you're... Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But, honestly, I like the simplicity 
mm-hmm. of at least the crunchy part of character generation and playing the character. Mm-hmm. Once I got into the flow of it, I liked it a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, because at first, I mean, I was, it was clunky for me to figure out how I could roll the dice and right. make it work for me. I mm-hmm. uh, it was clunky as heck. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that. But once I kind of got into the the mode of things and tried to tried to stretch some of my stuff and tried to work it into a even just one sentence that made sense. Mm-hmm. That started helping a little bit. I do enjoy the mechanics of you're just a person. I because I also enjoy not having actual stats. Yeah, yeah. I thought the dice mechanic was actually pretty elegant. Um, It's very simplistic, but I like that you can have a very fleshed out character with the descriptors and just a little bit of equipment and the traits. It feels like the personality that I made, the constable, feels very alive because he's not just numbers on a sheet he's he's you describe someone i don't describe ellen like well it looks like she has an 18 charisma and a you know that kind of thing you know you describe someone as well ellen's not really afraid to talk to people and see that's a descriptor you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so and then to just basically use that as a re-roll I think is very, very well done and makes the game quick. Now, granted, we didn't get into any combat. There is a little bit different stuff that you can do with combat. Um, But even with that, the system is basically kind of the same as doing the objectives. You're just kind of doing it a little bit more uh, in a combat or something like that. So... So yeah, the the game the the dice system I I, I like that it wasn't clunky, which elegant, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't take away from the main objective of this game, which is telling a story. Right, it added to it. Whereas you're locked in with stats. You, I mean, you literally in some games, if you don't have a, a number of a certain amount or higher, you can't even roll. Right. So you can't even attempt to do something. You can't you can't attempt to drive defensively in White Wolf without having at least a one in drive. Mm. So granted, I don't know if that's true anymore, but I know at one point that was true. Mm. <laughs> um so please don't don't at me there. But I'm just saying this you could still do what you wanted to do. It was just hard. Right. And you could still do what you wanted to do and re-roll if it was something that your character's descriptor said you can do. Like, I can negotiate well because I have a network of buyers and sellers and I'm known to many politicians. Right. You know, it just... It had... It didn't get in the way. Yes. Very, very much so. When you're creating the story... The dice mechanic did not get in the way. It was very quick, especially with the objectives. So, yes, I agree with that. So, that being said, are we good on the dice mechanic? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, the big question. We tried this game out. Would you play it again? Yeah, yeah. But I would want to play it with at least one or two more people. Okay. Like I said earlier. Yeah, I can see myself definitely wanting to play this again. But once again, I would love to like get a bonfire, <laughs> have everybody sitting around. Because really, you just need either... Because we have a PDF and we have it on our phone. Mm-hmm. Granted, you could get the book. Um, they do offer it print on demand. Um, but we could just have our phone out. And have a little bowl for the dice or a little thing for the dice. Everybody has their character sheet. And we just go around and create a horror story by the firelight. I think that would be so great for this game. That would be very fun. So, And um, I just thought of a scenario. Uh, Basically, Event Horizon, the movie... 
this would be perfect for. <laughs> you would just have regular people out in the middle of space trying to survive a horror. And I think this Beyond the Firelight, yes, it's sci-fi, and this was definitely colonial, and actually all of these scenarios are kind of more back in that time period, but really it's about isolation. This game is about isolation and not and just being normal people trying to survive. And I think a sci-fi like Event Horizon scenario would be awesome for this game. This game mechanic would definitely lend itself well to that. Yes, yes. Um, so, number one. Or, number two. Sorry, you already asked question number one. Yes, that was a big <laughs> question. So, yes, we would definitely like to play this game again. We liked it in our initial try. All right, so my first question for you. Okay. Uh, replayability or continue. Uh, Value of the book. What do you think? Now, I think uh, the book is pretty valuable. Um, I think that replayability is very good. Um, the book, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I don't exactly know how much the book is. Um, maybe we could look on um, drive through RPG real quick. Ellen's looking that up as I'm talking. I think the book has a lot of replayability. You at least get with the, if you don't want to create your own scenario, you at least get five scenarios. So five nights, if you take two nights for each, 10 nights of gaming for a group of people. So I think replayability, you're not gonna run long campaigns with this book, I think. But creating scenarios, if you are able, if you have the gumption to do that, there are other time periods that you can use that are in the book that they kind of discuss. There is a huge list of adversaries that you can pick and draw from. So replayability, I think, is very good for this game. Yes, you're not gonna play a long campaign, but I think a group of people, one person buying it or having a group of people kind of chip in for the book, uh, you get a lot of nights of fun. Um, the PDF, regular price is $19. It is $19. The drive through RPG discount at this point is $8, but I don't know if that's a sale price or like a temporary sale price or if that's what they're selling. Okay, so if for. you like this for uh, this Let's Try, go out, run out, and grab it. And um, From drive through RPG, and it is called Beyond the Firelight. All right. Uh, so, yes, we did get our copy for free so we could try it out. Um, but it is not that expensive if you wish to try it out. Um, so, Ellen, what do you think? Play replayability. I think so. I think yes. Um, especially the Beyond the Firelight Deluxe, which is what we have, um, which has the full rule set mm -hmm. as well as the quick start rules. Um, I think that it's actually very replayable. Even running the same scenario for a different group of people, like even running, like let's say you decide you wanted to do this scenario again, but we have three different people. Right. So you're the only one who's gone through it. So you right. would start off as the lead storyteller to kick everything off. Right. Um, even that has some replayability, kind of in the same way as... Um, as running an RP or as playing an RPG video game. Yeah, because it would be interesting to see how other people tackle the scenario. Yes, exactly. Um, with very different, you know, with different personalities and different, just even different brains thinking of mm. how they can attack it. Right. So I think it's got a lot of replayability. Um, it's not as, at least the book doesn't have as open a world as another RPG does. But honestly, like I said before, with somebody who has the right mind frame, you can make it a fairly open world and pretty unlimited. All right. Uh, so is that pretty much all we want to say for Beyond the Firelight? Um, yeah, I think that this is, um, well, I think that given from the player's perspective, I think that this is a, a much more intensive game. 
uh, a much more intensive experience of gaming. I know that doesn't come across very well in the way we ran through the scenario, but right. really, I was I was kind of on the edge of my seat there at the end of right, three. Yeah, I really exactly. was. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it's a much more immersive sort of thing rather than waiting for the next role. You're, You're actually trying it, yeah. to get to that objective. And not knowing what the objective is, it's really immersive because right. you're like, you're pulling at straws trying to do anything you can given what you have. So it is a night. I, I do enjoy this game. All right. So that was our Let's Try uh, Beyond the Firelight. I apologize to Aaron um, for this being our first one. We kind of stumbled through it. Uh, but hopefully the people listening to this will find some things that they can take away uh, we definitely recommend trying Beyond the Firelight for yourself. Uh, we will maybe uh, do it again sometime. Maybe we could get a couple people together and record in the future. We'll see. Don't know. But until our next Let's Try, I have been Steve and... That would make me Ellen. All right. Have a good night, everyone. And watch... Be careful and watch what is beyond the firelight. Thank you.